Adventure Seekers, welcome. Jedi, Ninja, and Wizards tolerated. Welcome. I'm your host, Rain Law, and here is today's quote. Memories of our lives, of our works, and our deeds would continue on in others. Rosa Parks. Coming up next, AJNW News, Top Story. My daughter's cat, Bibi, is quite vocal. In fact, she could raise the dead. Well, at least that's speculation. As far as I know, Dracula has not arisen from his slumbers to her caterwauling, but I believe it is a distinct possibility. Bibi came into our family 17 years ago as a rescue cat. My daughter had a friend that witnessed the kitten being thrown out of a window on the freeway back when she was in college. She nursed the kitten back to health despite what the veterinarian believed would happen. Eventually, the cat was left with us as my daughter could not take the cat with her, to her dorm rooms at least. And by this time, B.B. had gotten used to our household, and to make things easier on the cat, she stayed behind with us while our daughter was off in college. And then, by the time my daughter graduated, she had already rescued another kitten, and so B.B. stayed with us. Presently, it's been 17 years now since B.B.'s told us when to get up, or if there's another cat outside. And as she's aged, she's become more vocal in her request. One of her recent most vocal requests is for me to not practice my Japanese lessons, as B.B. only speaks Korean and a few bits and pieces from English. Coming up next, AJNW weather. The weather today seems to be changing. I know that's not original, but it's true. And it's altering at a more rapid pace, going from hot to cold to chilly to warm, dry to rainy, and a record amount of time. Which brings us to our next segment, AJNW Traffic. For a change, traffic has been a little hazardous with the city, state, county, and the federal government racing up and down the highway, or should I say roadway, and airspace overhead. Helicopters galore. We've not had this many helicopters since the big missing persons incident, or quite possibly when they were searching for marijuana patches. But today they were out after an escaped convict who broke out of jail after robbing possibly 14 different banks and shooting several people in the process. The man had been fleeing and eluding the authorities for over a week now, and it is rumored that he had a black belt in one martial art or another, although he didn't emulate the qualities that the martial arts and spouse. Nonetheless, all of my neighbors I me suspiciously, waiting to see if I would go off on some tangent. And no, that wasn't intentionally a math-related joke, even though my hypotenuse is just fine. Coming up next on AJNW Sports. Thanks to all of the excitement in traffic, all of my farming neighbors have taken up the biathlon, or at least it would seem so. They're still waiting on the snow, but they have their rifles out. Moving on to AJNW, Human Interest Story. I will discuss my daily training as it pertains to 
hand-to-hand -hand primitive weapons. In Tokushikempo, we begin with blunt weapons. Usually, this is a wooden weapon. Although, originally, a rock was used, if my reading of old text are correct. So, as I was saying, blunt, edge, flexible, projectile, and combination weapons are practiced throughout the week as the opportunity arises. However, on Mondays, I focus primarily on wooden weapons. Tuesday is when the time slot allows for a little extra focus on edge weapons, which allows Wednesday to become the day to focus on flexible weapons. This leaves Thursday for projectile weapon focus and Friday for combination weapons, which can be two weapons simultaneously or a weapon that employs shared qualities such as blunt and flexible or projectile and edge in conjunction. This also allows the weekends to be open for sword and spear work, and I include archery and spear work. It's just a very small spear that is projected quite a ways. Many styles and systems focus primarily on one weapon or another. This concentration of focus, of course, will increase your proficiency in said weapon. While Tokushi Kempo seeks to have a balance in many weapon systems, and it depends on its proficiency to be drawn from operating all weapon systems and empty hand under the same operating system. Coming up next, AJNW Q&A with Sensei. The question was posed for Sensei, is it proper to bow in other martial arts schools if the style is dissimilar from yours, utilizing their bow? Sensei's reply was, yes, any form of respect is a part of the spirit of the martial arts. Whether you do a karate or judo style bow or a kempo style bow, you may also find yourself in a school of martial arts that utilizes a bow to the weapon. If you don't have a weapon to execute a bow or salute with, then you may use your own bow. Even in Western martial arts, nods, bows, touching of gloves, and sword flourishing is considered part of the tradition, and sometimes only doffing your chapeau, taking your hat off to someone, indicates your respect and admiration will suffice. A haiku by Sensei, entitled, Ray, Dojo Afternoon, a deep bow or a handshake, beats a slapped face. Coming up next is a continuation of our saga of the Mystic Dreamwalker series by Ran Law. This part of the introduction is on Book 3, Warriors of Perception. We begin where we left off from last time. A message that he would have to translate from his library code that Xander had set up before he had bought his catamaran sailboat, the Dreamwalker. The message continued on about Eric's phone call that Xander received just before he went off the grid. Xander related that his stepmother, Cheryl, fell into alcoholism shortly after they had moved away from the farm. Eric had stated that it had not taken very long before she had gone through her settlement money. During this time, they had moved multiple times trying to find a greener pasture. 
Xander's stepsister Erica turned to drugs and began to hang out with the wrong sort of crowd. They had just moved to yet another new school when she and a group of friends going to a bonfire party went off of center and never made it home again. It was at this point that Cheryl had become impossible to live with and Eric joined the army. He was on his first tour overseas riding in a Humvee when an improvised explosive device took his left leg below the knee. Eric said he felt fortunate as he was the only one to make it out alive from the incident. What stood out the most to Eric after the accident was that during his rehab, a couple of men in dark suits and black neckties came to question him. They did not ask anything about the accident or any military matters. Instead, all of their questions related to what his relationship with his stepbrother was like, and they wanted to know the whereabouts of Cheryl. Eric commented that he told them that he had not kept in contact with his stepbrother, and he did not know where his mother was as she had moved shortly after his deployment. Eric said that they had asked him questions in several different ways, restating them many times before he became suspicious and asked them to leave. After Mr. Collins decoded the secret message inside of the encrypted message, he began to transfer $6,000 earmarked for Eric to a wire transfer company. The money was sent to an ancillary business investment group that was owned by an investment corporation that Xander had voting control of the stock. One of the corporate officers of this group had an executive secretary that had gone to high school with Jane and Xander. She was asked by email to expect a telephone call from Mr. Collins. Within a few minutes, Mr. Collins had made contact with her on an untraceable cell phone, which he would dispose of after he had completed his call. Mr. Collins asked if she would do a favor for Jane and Xander. When she stated that she would, he gave her the contact information and a message for Eric and asked her to call him to let him know that he would be receiving $5,000 from a wire transfer. Mr. Collins then told her where she could go after work to pick up the cashier's check for $6,000, that she was to cash and spend $5,000 on the contact information via another wire service of her choosing. He insisted that she keep whatever remained of the extra $1,000 as a gratuity for her service with thanks from both Jane and Xander. She had expressed to Mr. Collins delight in such a generous tip for a service that she would have performed freely for her friends. She did not know what it cost to transfer funds with the wire service, but she was certain it was very insignificant compared to the amount of money that would be left over. Mr. Collins was perplexed as to why Xander was utilizing all of these fail-safe procedures, but he was certain it was warranted. Xander had never been known to do something without thinking, and yet there was ample evidence to support the need for it 
and confirmed that even this had not been enough. Xander had said in his last line to keep a supply of throwaway phones on hand and be ready to repeat this procedure, stay safe. Eric was in his apartment in Phoenix, Arizona, and received a telephone call from a woman he had never heard of before, claiming to be a friend to both Jane and Xander Davidson. She gave him information about some money that she had just transferred to a wire service to him. He was confused at first as to what she was talking about, but she repeated her story and information that Mr. Collins had given her. He thanked her, and she said she was glad to be able to help before she hung up. Eric sat up on the sofa in his one-room efficiency apartment that he had moved to after finishing rehab and leaving the service. He had moved to Phoenix because one of his old army buddies had mentioned that his father had a steakhouse there. He had said that if he was ever looking for a job and wanted to cook for someone other than Uncle Sam, that would be the place to go. Eric had only been there for just over a month when he got up the nerve to call Xander. He had dialed the old phone number, but it was not functioning, and he had figured that Xander had the number changed. So he looked up the old address on the internet and used a reverse telephone lookup for it. He had been surprised when Xander did not answer the phone until he had remembered that Mark Smith had been the martial art instructor of his stepbrother. Eric was surprised that Xander had someone wire him $5,000. He was even more surprised that Xander knew where he lived. When Eric had called, he had only mentioned casually that he had moved to Phoenix, Arizona after he had left the surface. And he had never asked for any money. He did not recall telling Xander that he was a chef at a steakhouse, which he said was not that much different from his method of service when he was in the army. The woman had told him to expect a telephone call at 9 p.m. within three days after he received the wire transfer. He didn't realize it, but Xander had two separate private detective agencies researching Eric after he had made the initial contact. The first agency was a friend and tenant in Mr. Cullen's small office building complex. The private detective named Neil Jackson specialized in computer background checks, and he had recommended a local agency in Eric's area to conduct flesh and blood inquiries. The next morning, when Eric had folded up his Murphy bed that had converted his living room back from the bedroom, he prepared to go to the bus stop to get to the wire transfer location nearest him. He thought it was fortunate that he had the morning off from work, which allowed him to take his time. While he had learned to walk without using his crutches, he still needed a cane. His rehabilitation therapist had told him that eventually his stump would toughen up and that he should be able to get along without the cane, although he had been advised to always keep one handy as some days it would be sore no matter what he did. Eric still experienced pain in his missing foot every now and again. Eric often 
had a phantom itch that he would rub or attempt to scratch, while the truth is he only would rub the shoe that covered his prosthesis. It didn't always work, but sometimes going through the motions carried a component of psychological relief. Eric was shocked, to say the least, when they handed him a cashier's check for $5,000 and included with it was a message. The message was, quite simply, a cooking job offer with a diabetic menu. And it stated that he would receive a 401k for a salaried position at double what he was receiving currently. He would be cooking aboard a ship and would have his own private stateroom, and there was a mention of a share in the ship's bounty. On a side note, it mentioned there might be the possibility of danger, but no more than what he had already been exposed to in his past, but the action would not likely be overt. Eric was told he would be contacted by phone soon. There was no name given, but the last letter was an X. There was nothing in the message about what the 5000 was for, and no instruction other than to expect a cell phone call. Eric excitedly folded his cashier's check and tucked it into his wallet. He looked around to make sure no one was watching him as he stuck it into his pocket. He grabbed his adjustable aluminum cane and headed to the bus stop. He spotted a branch office of his bank advertised on the grocery store sign in the parking lot. He decided to deposit the money immediately as it made him feel a bit safer, and there was just a few businesses in a strip mall in between him and the grocery store. Later that day, after he had arrived home, feeling both relieved and a little excited about this unexpected windfall being in his bank account, he had no idea what he would do about the job offer as he had never been to sea and he didn't know anything about boats. The thought of doubling his income was still quite enticing, and the possibility of adventure stirred his heart. He didn't like to admit it, but having received such a traumatic injury made him feel at first like an invalid, until he had seen how bad others had been injured. He realized that the double and triple amputees looked at themselves as true warriors because they had fought a battle every day just to keep up with life. This gave him the courage to recognize he could face the small hardships that were handed to him, but sometimes when he felt discouraged, he still faced those little self-doubts. Thinking about this while sitting on the couch with his phone in his hand helped him decide to jump at the chance sight unseen. He knew that Xander wasn't the type of individual to jerk anyone around, and he made the call first to Xander. Then, Afterward, to his boss thanking him for his job, but also letting him know that his brother had made him an offer that he was going to take. He told his boss that he would give him two weeks' notice, and his employer graciously thanked him. This concludes the introduction of Book 3 from the Mystic Dreamwalker series, which you can find on my website and on Amazon Kindle. My email is rand at rand-lawrence and my webpage www.rand-lawrence.com. I highly recommend martial art instruction 
Everything I do has been influenced by the martial arts. I have no weapons, but a weapon can be made. Knowledge of her power. Tokushi Kimpo. Keep following your dreams.